You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Puppy Rat was found in a European energy organization. It may be associated with Iranian threat actors. Another threat actor, the Kony Group, was active against a U.S. government agency last year. Saudi Arabia maintains it had nothing to do with hacking Jeff Bezos' phone. The EU and Ukraine separately consider anti-disinformation regulations. Canada may be ready to impose costs in cyberspace. And Huawei's a threat, but what are you going to do? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 24th, 2020. Recorded Future has identified a puppy rat infestation in a European energy sector organization. Its command and control was communicating with the infected organization's mail server from late November through January 5th of this year. Puppy Rat is an open-source tool available on GitHub. It's effective against Windows, Linux, OS X, and Android systems, and it's been used to obtain access to the victim system, collecting sensitive information and credentials from the infected network. Recorded Future told ZDNet that they think it likely that the infestation represents espionage and reconnaissance. ZDNet uses the plural companies in its coverage, But Recorded Future's own report is quite circumspect about whom the attackers hit, whether it was an association or a company, and whether more than one organization was victimized. Puppy Rat has been observed for several years, at least since early 2017 when IBM described its use. The remote access Trojan has been used by Iranian threat groups. APT-33, also known as Elfin, Magic Hound, or Holmium, and Cobalt Gypsy, which Recorded Future says overlaps with APT-34, that is, oil rig. The researchers stress that the current activity predates the recent escalation of U.S.-Iranian tensions that have attended attacks on U.S. installations in Iraq and a retaliatory U.S. strike that killed the Quds Force Commander, Major General Soleimani. So the threat actor could well be working on behalf of Iran, but of course attribution is difficult especially when a tool has been made available as open source. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 research group reports that an unnamed U.S. government agency was hit with what Unit 42 is calling the Fractured Statue Campaign. It uses a novel downloader, Carrot Ball, that the researchers say was employed along with the familiar Carrot Bat tool. They regard it as probable that Fractured Statue is attributable to the Coney Group, a threat actor that Cisco Tallow says has been active since at least 2014. The threat actor took the name of the Coney Rat it was early associated with, but it's since branched out and evolved its tactics. The recent campaign, which Unit 42 says was active between July and October of 2019, initially used phishing emails that represented themselves as coming from Russian email domains. 
The fishbait documents generally dealt with North Korean commercial relations and were written in Russian, with some English sections thrown in. Neither Russia nor North Korea should be assumed to be the source of the campaign. Unit 42 summarizes what's known about the Kony Group as follows. Quote, Kony is a threat group operating in East Asia. This group is known for using spearfishing attacks with documents related to North Korea, but lately documents related to cryptocurrency also have been observed. Kony is also the name of their custom rat, which leverages anti-analysis techniques and intelligence-gathering features. End quote. None of this tells us who's responsible. Cisco Talos, in their earlier assessments of the group's activities, concludes only that, quote, clearly the author of the malware has a real interest in North Korea, end quote. But as we've seen in the Middle East espionage campaign directed against Arabic-speaking targets, an interest in a country is very imperfectly connected with attribution to that country. So, while North Korea may well be behind the fractured statue campaign and the Kony Group's other works, firm attribution would be premature. Reuters writes that the Saudi Foreign Ministry has again dismissed claims of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's involvement in hacking Amazon founder Jeff Bezos's phone as absurd. That is, they didn't do it, and especially the Crown Prince didn't do it. But investigations are in progress, and it certainly seems that something was done to Mr. Bezos's device. Is it possible the Crown Prince may himself have been hacked, either his phone or a WhatsApp account, as some have suggested? Well, sure, maybe. And it does seem odd that a Crown Prince would directly get his digital hands dirty. On the other hand, who better to hack the richest man in the world's device than a fellow billionaire who's met him at the places where billionaires go to meet? In any case, as BuzzFeed notes, Saudi-aligned Twitter accounts have been doing a lot of anti-Bezos woofing, with accusations of insincerity concerning his expressions of mourning for the late Jamal Khashoggi, a discreditable personal life as evidenced by the intimate pictures someone provided to the National Enquirer, and so on. BuzzFeed thinks the accounts doing the tweeting are a part of a coordinated and inauthentic campaign, presumably directed from Riyadh. So does the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial Killings. Agnes Calamard told BuzzFeed, quote, the hacking and the campaign are two actions taking place alongside each other, both of which aim, in my view, at intimidating, creating fear, and ultimately controlling or silencing the people who are the object of both hacking and the campaign. End quote. Mr. Bezos has been the target of such campaigns before. NBC News reported that they began shortly after Jamal Khashoggi, who had been a columnist for the Bezos-owned Washington Post, was assassinated inside the Saudi embassy in Istanbul, a murder which occurred on October 2nd of 2018. Twitter at that time took down a large number of the accounts involved. The platform has yet to take large-scale action in this latest round. Forbes wrote yesterday that Graphica reported some 8,500 tweets by fans of MBS, that is, fans of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. A common theme was a threat to boycott Amazon. Ukraine is considering a comprehensive law designed to suppress disinformation, Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty says that critics are concerned the measure will also effectively suppress journalism. Ukraine is in a tough spot. As a former Soviet republic, it has direct and immediate memory of what disinformation is and how a disinformation campaign can be mounted. And were its historical memory to be as short as, say, ours is, it need only look to the Russian hybrid war in Crimea and the Donbass for an education. 
Farther west, the EU is also deliberating adoption of measures that would counter disinformation. Facebook doesn't like them, New Europe says, and characterizes the proposed regulations as a threat to free speech. To be sure, that's not exactly what the lawyers call an admission against interest, but put the ad hominem aside and consider how are you going to legislate against disinformation without doing the violence to free speech Facebook warns against. Licensed journalists? If that's the goal, there's useful advice to be had from the neighbors to the east, say, around Moscow. Canada's government is preparing to impose costs on those responsible for cyber attacks on the Dominion, according to 660 News. The bad actions in cyberspace on which costs might be imposed would presumably include the sort of influence operations the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity has been warning against. Canada's communications security establishment, the country's counterpart to Britain's GCHQ, the American NSA, the Australian Signals Directorate, and New Zealand's GCSB, has been given a charter to operate against targets in cyberspace. The documents that refer to imposition of costs suggest that such operations would be best done in concert with allies. And finally, The Economist looks at Huawei and concludes it's a threat, but says the risks can be managed. That's roughly what the UK seems ready to do, permitting Huawei into 5G networks, but only in less sensitive peripheral regions and only in the context of ongoing security vetting. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The cybersecurity sector continues to attract significant attention from investors, and for the immediate future, there's no sign of that slowing down. My guests today are Hank Thomas and Mike Doniger, both experienced investors, and they formed a new company called SCVX. Their plan is to bring a funding mechanism known as a SPAC to cybersecurity, which they say is new to the space. So a SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, that's Mike Doniger, is essentially a blank check company. So what it is, is we raise a blind pool of capital on Wall Street in the form of an IPO. And by definition, you're not allowed to know what you're going to buy. Uh, there's very strict rules behind that. However, you can target a specific space. Um, and so some are more general in what they approach, let's say, agriculture or chemicals or something very broad. Um, we decided to take a very specific approach in targeting this cybersecurity space and in that created an infrastructure around that with our board, which we'll get into, um, with Hank and his team, um, to have a lot of expertise in a very targeted area. So why why a SPAC versus other methods of gathering capital, of making investments? If you are a target company um, and you're looking for the next evolution in your financial, you know, l lifehood, um, you have a couple options. Uh, you can obviously continue to raise venture capital money um, or private equity money. Um, the cyberspace in general doesn't like a lot of leverage because they're high growth companies. And so it tends to be more venture capital than private equity. And then as you hit that kind of Series C, Series D part of your evolution, you know, and your valuation starts to get upwards towards that billion dollar range, you know, the venture capital money is not as readily available at that point. And these companies are extremely expensive to continue to grow with large sales forces and getting, you know, a footprint inside that Fortune 1000. Well, Hank, let's dig in here. I mean, mm -hmm. what, take us through the thesis. Yeah, so the thesis is that the average CISO has more than 75 tools in their war chest right now. The security stack has become unwieldy. Uh, it isn't necessarily itself inter always integrated like it should be. Uh, if you're JP Morgan and you're spending billions on cybersecurity, you have the ability to properly integrate things, but move down from that and you're you're struggling to integrate maybe the tools you have uh, with them with the other security tools to integrate them with the the rest of your IT stack. You're really just kind of like in crisis management mode all the time. I'm not saying everyone's in this situation, but that's kind of the general feeling in cybersecurity these days. Is like right. you know what what bad's going to happen next? And we think that you know go to RSA for the last 20 years, uh, like many of us have, or or go to any of these security conferences, and you see these rows and rows of things, right? That uh, if you're not in the sector, you know, how can you tell these things apart? Um, and if you are, you still sort of struggle to a certain extent. But we know that within those rows and rows and rows of things, there are some really awesome platform, and we can get into what a platform really means, cybersecurity companies that we could, if injected with the proper amount of capital and the right, maybe the right new thinking to how to take it to the next level, you could build a, a really cool Control, security control platform that you could hang a number of other things off, let's call them ornaments, hmm. that give it far more capability than it has today. And people are talking about this already. I mean, this is a conversation I had before we, we started seriously talking about doing this back, the last four years at RSA, where we said, you know, what if we could only roll these four companies up? 
And our goal is to find one really cool company right now that meets most of our criteria, if not all of them, invest in that company, help them develop a strategy to integrate a few other critical security controls into that platform, and then create something that doesn't really exist in the industry today. There's obviously been no shortage of investment dollars in cybersecurity over the past few years. And as we touched on earlier, um, you know, SPACs have been growing in popularity as well. By your estimation, this is the first time we've seen this combination of a SPAC targeting cybersecurity. Um, We definitely think so. We definitely think we're the first. Mike Doniger. Definitely targeted directly at cybersecurity. There may be one or two other SPACs that are technology-focused or defense-focused that cybersecurity may fall in their subsphere, but no one to our knowledge has really targeted and put a board like this and put a team like Hank's team like at the task. So in terms of, from a practical point of view, um, maybe trying to, to help both you all out and the folks who think that they may be a, a potential candidate for mm-hmm. you, and to try to save everyone some time, <laughs> do you have some general do's and don'ts? Like, these are the things we're interested in, and these are the things we're, you know, please, let's not waste each other's time we're, as we're setting up these meetings and trying to get these things going. Yeah, I would say if you're not at least a series, you know, C round capital size uh, cybersecurity company, you're probably too early. That's Hank Thomas. That's sort of the, the first fi- financial gate to look at. I think that, uh, you know, having a, um, being a force in a particular sector and like primarily the commercial sector, so say, say having a large footprint in the financial services industry, or maybe you're a major player in the critical infrastructure protection uh, sector, or you are um, you know, have a have a sort of a niche security control that doesn't necessarily have a lot of competition yet, but have also established uh, a strong presence across multiple commercial sectors. Those would all be things that we would be interested in looking at. So you spin up the SPAC, you make your initial decision, you, you buy your company, you invest in your company. What is the amount of flexibility you have at that point? What directions can you go in? Yeah, so, you know, that company will be capable of using both the expertise we have in place through our board, using some of the capital that's been injected them to bring on additional expertise, survey the landscape and, uh, and say, you know, what, will the th- what are the things that kind of kept us where we were before we IPO'd? And now we have the flexibility to use this newly found capital to go out and acquire a couple of those missing components, integrate those uh, successfully into what we're doing and then become a platform that is more viable to either a particular industry sector or across multiple industry sectors. Something that's more viable technically and more interesting you know, to the public markets as well. That's Hank Thomas and Mike Doniger from SCVX. We'll have an extended version of my interview with them running here in the next few days. You check it out. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.